Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hi, I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor for Provoke Media. Today, we're kicking off the next iteration of our widely popular intersection series, which will focus on unraveling the diversity hype cycle. On today's episode, we're going to explore the intersection of diversity and return to office plans. You know, it was just over a year ago that the PR industry sort of faced this reckoning around its lack of racial diversity. And, you know, even before that, the lack of women in leadership positions. Um, you know, the industry has made all sorts of goals, um, metrics, targets, deadlines around these is- issues. But now here we are in the fall of 2021, and it seems like a lot of agencies are now focusing on sort of getting their employees back into the office. Um, in fact, based on a lot of conversations I'm happening, there's almost this like sort of singular focus on making this happen. Um, but what isn't happening is it seems like a lot of leaders are not making the connection between these back to office plans and their diversity, equity and inclusion efforts. So on today's episode, I hope we can make this link because the data shows there is um, there is a clear relationship between these two things. So to do this, we have two guests who can speak to this from two very relevant perspectives. Um, we have Helen Cup, who is Director of Product Strategy and Partnerships at Future Forum, which is a consortium launched by Slack to help sort of companies reimagine um, work in this sort of new digital world, digital first world. Um, welcome, welcome, Helen. Good to be here. Very excited for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And we actually, so the Future Forum um, actually did uh, quite a bit of research that came out in June around this topic, which we're going to anchor this conversation in. And I will include links to that in the show notes as well. We also have back here is Noria Fraser, who is, of course, VP and head of DEI at Pretel. And Pretel has been our partner in this intersection series and has been a progressive leader in sort of reimagining best practices um, for the PR industry. Um, most recently, the agency announced that they were uh, piloting a four-day work week amongst many other initiatives. Welcome, Noria. Thank you. It's great to be back um, and to be exploring this conversation further. So thanks for having us. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think a great place to start would be um, one of one of the, the, the data points that really jumped out to me um, in Future Forum's research, and that's... Um, Black knowledge workers are more likely to say that working remotely is better for their sense of belonging. Um, While it's the opposite is true for for white knowledge workers, I think it was, um, so I I don't know, Helen, do you want to kind of give that stat a little bit of context and then Naria, if you wanted to kind of build on that just from what you see from an agency perspective? Yeah, we we actually, we have a um, research study that we launch um, and we, we survey over 10,000 knowledge workers all around the world. Um, and we do this every quarter. So the latest release was in June. And one of the things that we do is we ask um, about different elements of the work um, in, of the work experience, which includes sense of belonging, work-life balance, et cetera. And one of the most remarkable things that we continue to find each quarter is exactly that. That sense of belonging is higher, in particular for Black employees um, and generally for you know employees of color compared to white employees. 
when working remotely compared to working in the office. Um, and and for, for some of us who sort of live and breathe this experience, it's not hard to see why. I remember having um, a conversation um, that our team had with Brian Lowry, who's a Stanford professor, about this in particular. And um, he was talking about how a big part of the experience of race and work is sense of belonging, is comfort, right? Um, whatever you call it. And it's and if you're in a work environment where you're the minority, then it it could feel like a less comfortable place to be. Um, whereas if you're at home and you you experience you know a more friendly environment um, that can make the experience of work better when you have to do less code switching right. or less um, you deal with less microaggressions or even just moments of awkwardness when you know you're not suited for. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my team where we were talking about the lunch experience, right, for introverts for. Um, for people who just sort of, you, you walk into the lunchroom and you're like, well, you know, what do I do? Do I go to this group? Is there, you know, are they going to finish lunch? There are a lot of these awkward moments, um, that, you know, encompass that sort of in office experience, um, more so for, um, employees of color and, and others, um, that are in the minority. And I think working from home gives a bit more of a respite from that. And so we're seeing, overall higher sense of belonging scores um, quarter over quarter. Naria, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective from, from um, on the agency side in terms of, you know, what, what you see and what you hear um, about that's, that's, you know, the sense of belonging and being in the office versus being remote. Absolutely. Well, I mean, first on a personal level, um, this of course is not a surprise. I think if you are ever, um, you know, one of few or one of only, and you are part of an underrepresented community, um, when you um, are when you are a part of a workforce that is, you know, majority white, you are going to feel a little bit like an outsider, or like you maybe have to adapt, or you have to consistently think of ways to make sure that you are not um, kind of like outing yourself as other, right? So there's this constant, um, uh, there's this constant need for you to kind of check in and make sure that, okay, is this appropriate for the, for this, for this community of people that I am now surrounded by? So I think that just from a personal experience, that is, that is not a surprise at all. Um, uh, and from, um, you know, more of a professional experience, um, specifically in, in our workforce, um, it is very important to do to, when you um, do like employee satisfaction surveys and when you pull that data for you to splice it by race to understand where some of those trends are and you can better understand them. Um, and they they appear within our agency and I'm sure they appear um, within other agencies and especially in this past year those stories have been uncovered and they are being shared broadly of just the experience of being an under being from an underrepresented community um, and having to navigate and work and try to um, excel and succeed within a workforce that was not really designed for you and i think that that is a very that is very common and something that i love um, that I was when i was reading some of the uh, the um, forum um, future uh, data was about the importance of 
of, of managers, the importance of others to understand the experience of underrepresented um, communities so that there's, I'm assuming, I mean, from my, what I would say is that there's a little bit of, a lot of empathy that goes into understanding what other people are going through when they're doing their day-to-day -day work and all of the different things that they're navigating so that when they start to make decisions, that is taken into account. So I did love to see that connection um, and that push to understand, because I think that if we don't start from that that place of understanding, it's going to be very hard to start to um, actually show traction in redesigning how we're thinking about the work the workforce for uh, diverse communities. Yeah, I, I, managers are really what we're finding are the linchpin to making um, especially more hybrid distributed work successful. And it's exactly as you said, I think even in the data when we dug further and we looked at the black employee experience, um, we saw um, despite you know sense of belonging increasing, there's still a lot of work to be done to reskill managers and help them think about um, you know how to how to operate um, towards inclusion because um, like we were finding in our survey, 67% um, of black employees, for example, agree that they are treated fairly at work compared to 79% for white employees. Um, on the flip side, related to that is this, this feeling like they need to show their managers that they're actually working, even if you know they're uh, when they're remote. Um, it was it was a top four challenge for black employees, and it was, I think, seventh for white employees. Um, and so you can see these stark differences um, that really show up when you think about that manager experience and what they do to create that inclusive and psychologically safe environment. You know, I so you know, and a lot of this sort of predates the pandemic, obviously, and. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had conversations in our business. I, I remember speaking to someone who, um, you know, a black PR professional who during the era of Mad Men was saying that like the, his agency just glorified this show, right? And they're having Mad Men watching parties and, you know, not realizing that this is a show that, you know, glorifies a time in which she wouldn't even be allowed to have a job, right? There and, and you know, you know, these little, you know, these, little moments that you don't realize have such a big impact, right? And he actually ended up leaving that agency and that's what stuck with him was this this glorification of this era of, you know, advertising that, um, you know, was, was offensive. It is offensive, right? Um, you know, and, and that makes me think of like the, the bar carts, right? I mean, we, we've done stories on people in our business who have a hard time as non-drinkers, right? Because so much of the culture is built around the 3 p.m. bar card on Friday afternoons. Um, so, you know, so on that note, I, I wanna ask a question around how do you, when you're thinking about your policies, when you're thinking about culture, how can you be intentional about it being inclusive and equitable for groups? And, and you know, and right now, if you're a manager, there's a lot you have to think about. It's not just um, the different, you know, ethnic groups and, and, and genders and, and, and things like that, you know, demographics, but also, you know, how do you not make remote employees second, second class employees, right? Um, are there any guardrails or any things that folks should be thinking about as, as they're coming up with these policies around inclusion in, in yeah. this world of work? 
Yeah. I mean, uh, so many that we're still, you know, there, there isn't a, a great blueprint for it all, but it's, it's um, good to experiment across the board on how to continue to level the playing field. I would say that one of the biggest pieces is really normalizing flexibility for everyone. Uh, we talk a lot about how, you know, when, when we speak to executives, talent and in particular retaining diverse talent is a top priority and concern. And flexibility is one of those key pieces to, to attracting and retaining um, top diverse talent. Um, and in particular, um, before, before talking about the guardrails, we know that, you know, not only are, is it an intense sort of market for talent right now, it's more so for our employees of color, right? Um, more, I think, over half of employees that we surveyed um, are, are really looking at new opportunities. But when you actually look at like black employees, 80% um, want, you know, more flexible hybrid work environments. And in the same vein, 72% are more likely to be actively looking for new opportunities compared to, you know, white employees, I think only 51% are looking for, for new opportunities. Um, and so flexibility is at the core of it. Um, that'll help organizations um, be more inclusive, provide more of these working options for, you know, employees of color, caregivers, working parents, um, and, and so that's a big piece of it. And then I think the second is what we just talked about, which is really reskilling managers for inclusivity. Um, we, um, traditional management training is in some ways so outdated, right? More focus on process, more focus on, um, in some ways, um, managing the work rather than the people and the empathy required to be thoughtful about different working experiences, how to be inclusive, how to bring that into the conversation of the team as you think about team level norms and agreements and how you want to work together in a more hybrid, flexible way. So I think those, those two are kind of the big ones. Um, and then um, because the rule of threes in all um, things, I think a third one would be um, just sort of really focusing on breaking down systemic barriers um, and really investing in advocacy and sponsorship from, from leaders. Um, in, in particular, when you think about the um, not creating at that remote second class, right, mm -hmm. is really making sure that you're not uh, reverting back to old ways of oh, you're in the office and so it's the easiest way for me to pass information to you in the hallway, right? How do you break that habit and say, actually, we're going to share you know, more of that information, decision-making, those tidbits back into a space that everyone can access, more like a digital headquarters. Um, how can we help people, especially you know, um, our you know, historically discriminated employees, find the right sponsors and leaders if it's not the, you know, hallway chat or elevator chat or, you know, bumping into someone in the lunchroom. How can we be much more intentional about, you know, setting up those networks um, for, for different groups and ensuring that they 
not only have equal access to information, but equal access to opportunities and leadership. Um, and so I would say like those are those are all sort of different aspects of you know setting up guardrails, but also just being very intentional about wanting to create a culture and an environment that is much more equitable and inclusive. I, I want to reiterate that the stat that that you that you gave because um, for an industry that is that, you know that has set goals around um, recruiting and retaining and advancing um, black employees. Um, so black employees are even more likely to be looking for new opportunities in the coming year. 72% of black employees versus 51% of white employees. And Helen, as you said, um, flexibility is central to that. Um, Noria, I'm curious to get your perspective because I know what, at Praytel, you all have long had a work from anywhere sort of mindset. Um, do you have any tips on how you're you're able to to, to enforce that in, in an equitable way, and so that you know people aren't you know front and center just for being in the office in, in Brooklyn? Because I know you yourself, right? You're in Atlanta, um, whereas HQ is is Brooklyn. I know there's an office in San Francisco as well. Yeah, yeah, we have offices in San Francisco, LA, Chicago, um, all, all over. Um, I'm forgetting one, Austin as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, so this is going to be an interesting transition point for us. Um, we have long been a very flex, flexible, I, I feel like there's many ways to, to kind of define what flexible is in, in this sense, but we've long been a flexible work environment. That's a, one reason that um, Praytel was so attractive to me when I first started, right? Um, you could work from home, you could come in when, when you need to, you kind of leave when you needed to. There was just a freedom there that um, was very um, appealing at this point, at, at this point in my life, um, or that was two years ago. So at that point in my life, um, and still is, I think now that everyone is remote, we've had to redefine what flexible is. And I think that that is a task that a lot of, um, a lot of folks within our industry are going to have to take on, which is being creative and approaching flexibility. So um, flexible, I think two years ago meant maybe you could leave out and you could go, um, you could go take your dog for a quick walk and come back into the office, or you could go work from home for half a day. Um, and no one would really question where you're at. And that was extremely liberating. But I think now that um, you know, that needle is moving and there's going to be a there's going to be kind of a recalibration of what flexibility is in the office. And um, Helen, Helen definitely touched on a lot of a lot of what that that was. And um now, you know, when we think of flexibility, we have to think of how do we give that same freedom to people who are remote, who are now tethered to a phone, tethered to a computer, um, and people who are working um, all around the U.S. Because we've recruited um, so many people, which is an which is amazing for us to be able to. Uh, to dip into different talent pools uh, from different geog geographies, which is really great. Um, but we also owe it to them to give them that same flexibility that that we once had, which is, you know, what clients are you working on? Are you working on Pacific time clients? Are you working on Eastern time? And um, those are a lot of the um, scenarios that we are really, really working through. Um, and we're doing it through a DE&I lens, an HR lens, and also having our um, department and our practice lead like very much involved in this process to make it work for everyone. Um, and again, like I just task our, I hope that like, you know, the four day work week is, 
is a really amazing experiment. And I, you know, fingers crossed that we, that it really, really works because this would be amazing to be able to continue to do. Um, we also just recently saw, um, I believe Nike, you know, let folks off for a, a week um, for mental health. I think I saw something about Bojangles maybe for two weeks. So I, I think people are going to continue to get creative in defining flexibility. And uh, we owe it to ourselves to not think of people um, in terms of uh, hours and billable hours and what exactly that is in a day and how much work can you fit in a day because it clearly is not going to work anymore. So I'm excited about the future. It's just, it's a hump and we just have to kind of get over that hump, I feel. Oh, we need to have a whole other conversation about redefining the model and billable hours and, and all of that. Um, but but I, I liked what you said about redefining flexibility. And, and Helen, I would love to get your take because I, I know you, you wrote an essay on this and I'll also link to this in the show notes that it's not just about being remote, but it's about asynchronous work. And I'm curious to get your take on sort of how you define that and what that looks like, especially for our industry where collaboration is such a big part of, of, of what you do all day. Yeah, I, um, I was going to build on uh, what Noria was saying around redefining flexibility because I think that that is such a great way to frame it. Um, we... One of the things that I often push on in, um, in our work in future forum is even when we talk about flexibility right now in the market, I think a lot of executives are thinking about, okay, so how many days are you working from home and how many days are you working from the office? Like very simple binary equation. And the reality is while flex location is really important, I think 76% of knowledge workers are looking for that, flex schedules um, and, you know, thinking more creatively about the time that you're working together, working um, separate is, is even more important. I think 93% of knowledge workers are looking for that sort of schedule flexibility. Um, and that's something that we don't talk enough about because it's, it's very different from our normal way of operating, right? We're, we're used to going into the office nine to five or nine to six. And those are our sort of collaboration hours as, um, as we define them. Um, whereas um, what we continue to push is the nine to five, it's just, it's just not working for most people anymore, right? It defined in an industrial area that doesn't exist for complex work today. Um, I talk a lot about it as, as, a, as a working parent with a toddler that's under two years old, you know, um, daycare drop-offs, doctor's appointments, like those fit during the day. And it means that I need that flexibility to say, you know, this chunk of time, I'm going to go and actually take my son to a doctor's appointment. But that doesn't mean that I am not going to get the work done. That doesn't mean that the project's not going to continue to move forward. And so I think part of all of this um, discussion around flexibility needs to be um, focus also on how can we work more asynchronously, right? How do we not be in meetings back to back from nine to five, um, tethered to our phones and our computers? Um, and I, I, I urge us to sort of push the boundaries on what we mean by um, how we can achieve collaboration, right? Do you need to be in a meeting to collaborate? Um, or are there parts of the work that you can say, actually, it's much better if we come up with our ideas separately, individually, asynchronously, um, 
and, you know, come back to a shorter meeting and, and use that meeting rather than a readout to actually discuss and give feedback and, you know, actually collaborate on how do we build these ideas together. Um, that I think you start to then break, you know, break apart these long sort of chunky, what we would normally default to as a collaboration meeting into asynchronous work and maybe much um, higher throughput, higher quality live team time. And that gives an individual so much more flexibility to organize their day, right? Instead of saying, oh, I need to be right here in this, in the same room in front of my computer from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., I now know that I have a chunk, a smaller chunk of time where um, we are absolutely going to meet as a team and discuss and iterate on things. But the other stuff I can do, you know, I'm a morning person. And so I can do that early in the morning, if that makes sense for me, or I can do that, you know, after um, I drop my son off to school, um, whatever sort of fits my schedule. Um, and I think that that is a really important piece of flexible work and how we start to be creative about schedules and hours um, that, that we're just not, we're not having enough of a conversation about. Right. Right. So, you know, a question I have for you on that is this collaboration piece, right? I mean, and I, I love what you outlined around, you know, a lot of a lot of the pre-work should and can be done asynchronously, right? And, and then when you actually have your collaboration session, everyone's already done um, a lot of their own brainstorming, a lot of their own sort of idea generation. Um, and, you know, you can kind of present it together. When I talk to agency leaders, collaboration is the piece that many of them say is why remote work doesn't work for our business. Um, collab it's collaboration, culture, it's like the, th the three C's. Collaboration, building a culture, and um, and creates in the big creative ideas. There's, there is many who are anchored in this idea that you need to be physically in an office for those three things to happen. Um, what would be, and I'm gonna open this up to either of you, what would be your response to that? Oh, no, I should, I should have picked you because no, no, it's quiet. Um, <laughs> Helen, you look like you're about to say something, so I'm gonna turn, go to you. Okay, I'm gonna start with, um, uh, that is a great, myth that we've held on to about office culture for a very long time. Um, um, one of our um, uh, sort of smaller studies that we did was around creativity and innovation. Um, to, to ask specifically that, right? I think we were hearing a lot of like, okay, you can be more productive when you're working from home, but you can't be creative. You can't, um, you can't innovate. Um, and, and actually we found that in that study in particular, um, it didn't matter where you were working. Um, people didn't feel any differently about their ability to be creative, whether they were um, co-located or distributed, uh, working from home, et cetera. The number one thing that mattered to them um, that impacted creativity was more around whether they felt safe taking risk with their teams. So more about psychological safety than anything. Um, and, and we know actually from decades of historical research that something like brainstorming, right? When we, we feel like, oh, the best way to do this is to get everyone into a room together and brainstorm live. That's actually much, um, uh, much more of a waste of time because you get more groupthink, 
you don't get all the voices in the room. I can tell you as an introvert that that is not my ideal scenario for contributing to ideas. Um, and, and you actually get higher quality ideas and much more um, uh, diverse sort of thinking if, if you do that pre-work, if you allow people to have time to think about an idea separately and then bring it into a group forum to iterate and discuss. And so, so we know this from not just like pandemic research and, and the research that we did, but you know, decades of historical research that just hasn't made it into how we think about office culture. Um, because the, that mythology that we hold on to, that the office is the way, is so, so strong. And it's just this beautiful thing about what we have right now in the pandemic is this opportunity to finally start from a blank slate. Right? We, we've now debunked so many things about our ability um, and, the, the, and the ways in which we can work together, the how, um, it, it feels um, like a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to lean into that and continue to experiment our way through it rather than say, you know what, actually I'm just gonna go back to this world that maybe we thought worked. Mm -hmm. Maybe it didn't actually. Absolutely. Um, Helen, you definitely put that much better than I would. I didn't I did not have the data to back up my my observations, but I was I was just thinking as you were talking, Arthi, I was like, that work that type of collaboration works for a certain personality type. It works for a certain person. Um, and I am I am someone as well. Um, I don't really say I'm introverted, but I do um I'm a great builder. I, I build on ideas and I ask, you know, I dig deep and I ask the, I want to ask the questions that that's how I contribute to a group. I'm not the one who is just raising my hand or just blurting out ideas and everyone's going, wow. And I, I, I remember feeling that um, pressure, especially as I have um, matured in this career of, will I ever be that person? And maybe once in a while, sure. But that is just not really what you should expect from me when I'm walking into your brainstorm. And I'm comfortable in that now, but I do think of how many people leave this career, how many people go in a different direction or decide that client work may not be for me or creative work, I'm not creative um, because they didn't necessarily um, fit into that idea of that creative personality when they were sitting in a boardroom or they're sitting in a room. Um, that doesn't mean that those people are not creative. It does not mean that you can't excel in this career, but um, the pressure to uh, adapt to that type of um, behavior in an office is definitely real. And, and I'm sure we've, we've all felt it. So um I, I I heard that and, and that's what, that's kind of where my mind went. But Helen had the data, so I do appreciate that. And then with with the culture, you know, we have to redefine culture too. I mean, maybe we could just call this the redefined series, but you, we have to redefine what culture is because culture cannot can no longer be um, happy hour after work, or it can't it can't be the bar cart because we're not there. So what is the culture that has kept people um, engaged and kept people um, within an organization at this point in time while we've been remote? That's the culture we need to like dig into and build out even further and continue to enhance. And that culture can be done without us all 
sitting in an office and going somewhere together or sitting in an office and experiencing one thing at the same exact time. So I, I thought I love the three C's and I definitely feel like we can peel back why it's yeah, no and also ask like did the culture work for everyone before yeah, right um i think we we lean on this like oh there's this culture that i want to keep intact but did it work for everyone really and um there there are i'm sure aspects that make sense to keep and there are aspects um when we talk to executives now where they say yeah you know there are some great things about the pandemic um that and working remotely that I also want to keep um, things like feeling like the the, the playing field is more level, right? Feeling like uh, my colleagues who were in the satellite office um, weren't the only you know face on the screen um, that they actually had a voice in the room that that was impactful not just for the employees themselves but managers, executives that we've spoken to recognize that they're like oh actually I'm I'm hearing more from them. Um, and so there are, I think we have an opportunity to say, what, what aspects um, do we want to integrate into our culture and how do we do that in a more intentional and deliberate way when we think about um, creating, you know, something that's more inclusive um, now that we, we understand it better too. Um, I think this, this has all provided us an opportunity to have so much greater empathy for each other than ever before. Um, and that I think gives us an opportunity to redefine a lot of, you know, more had habitual traditional norms. Yeah. I think that, I mean, to your point about, you know, I think intentional, 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 intentionality, uh, being intentional, I think seems to be the big takeaway that's come out of this pandemic, right? We used to just do things because that's the way they were done, right? And now suddenly we have to reflect on every norm and tradition and, you know, ritual that we've had around work, um, you know, around creativity, I will just say that, you know, that the, the quality of work that we've seen in our award submissions in 2021 were spectacular. I mean, some of the best that we've seen, and this is all work that's been done remotely, right? And so when people say to me, well, we can't have the same level of creativity, I, I always ask them that question back. I'm like, well, you know, how did you produce this level of work, um, you know, in 2020? And, and, and Aria, I was thinking about what you said about the creative person, right? The, the guy who's in there coming out with the ideas, very like to, to throw back to Mad Men again, um, you know, and I wonder if that's a, a myth, right? Like, I wonder who is that person? And I want to start asking that in our business. And secondly, who's, who has been socialized to be that person, right? Um, you know, we see research as far back as school that, you know, little boys are not penalized for blurting in the same way that little girls are, right? So then you end up, you know, fast forward to your careers, who's blurting out in the, in the conference room and with that confidence and that bravado. And that's another question about, you know, how have we defined creative types and who have we overlooked when we've defined that, made, you know, made that archetype, right? Um, and maybe, Noria, maybe you are a creative type or, or, you know, or, you know, there are people out there that are, that may not fit the profile of what we've defined in our heads, right? So anyway, this was such a great conversation and I, I know we need to wrap up. Um, but, but I, I did want to, you know, reinforce kind of what, what both Helen and Naria said is that, you know, when you're thinking about fixed locations and traditional work cultures, that involves things like code switching and, you know, outdated norms that do not work for everyone. Um, and I think that was one of the big takeaways that I think our industry needs to hear. Um, before we close out, is there any one 
quick, like a snippy piece of advice that you would give to the industry, um, to the PR industry in particular around redefining the future of work. Helen, I'll start with you. Um, one quick snippy advice. Um, the biggest thing is um, don't be afraid to experiment and lean into it. Um, a lot of what we're doing right now is, is new for everyone. And the best thing you can do is listen to the employees on the ground. They'll tell you what's working and what's not. Um, and the only way that we get through this to figure out what's going to settle out in the future of work and how, um, how we are going to do this together um, in, in the most successful way and really lean into this opportunity is through experimentation. And, and that was a good lead way to, to you, Noria, because that's what that's what Praytel's doing. Absolutely. Um, and real quick and snippy, have never been used to describe me, but I will do my best. Um, um, mine would definitely, my piece of advice would definitely be around um, enforcing listening and, um, and empathy into our core competencies. So no matter what we're doing, ensuring that empathy becomes a huge um, driver of how we are creating new policies, creating new infrastructure. Um, we have to understand where other people are, what other people's lived experiences are to um, include, include that into our thinking and our redesign. And that means also having those folks at the table. Well, thank you, Helen and Naria, and, um, and hopefully we can continue this conversation at some point because there was a lot of ideas that we seeded here that um, I feel like need, need to follow up. Um, in the meantime, thank you to our listeners and we will be back soon with another episode. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.